Welcome, friends. 2023. Yippee! Same old stuff keeps happening, though. I had to get a new credit card because the bank called me up and said, your credit card's been contaminated. We're shutting it down. We're sending you a new one. How many of us have, has that happened to? Stick a hand up. Yeah, it's embarrassing, isn't it? And, you know, it's a real pain in the patootie, too. Because, you know, you, you, you don't remember where all the places are that you have to go fix, right? It only takes about six months to get that job done. Um, statistically, there is a victim of some kind of identity theft in this country, not the whole world, just in this country, every 22 seconds. Is that mind-boggling? One in three people, and that's about how many of us raised our hands, will suffer some form of identity theft at some point in their lives. On average, those of us who have been through it know, and we've only been through the credit card redo, you know, it can get a whole lot worse. On average, it can take up to six months to recover and get things sorted out. Going from figuring out that you've been stolen, so to speak, to getting all the stuff cleaned up and, and your reputation fixed and whatever it is got broken. And more than 1.25 million children have their identity stolen and they don't even find out about it till they turn 18 and try to get a credit card or a student loan or whatever. Then they find out they've got to start from scratch. It's a real problem. So I went online and I went to the, you know, the government sites where they tell you how to not get your identity stolen. And I'm going to read through some of their suggestions. Uh, store financial documents like Social Security, Medicare, and credit cards in a locked place. Not in your wallet, apparently. Leave Social Security and Medicare cards at home unless you're going to need them. And of course, duh, don't share your personal information over the phone, email, or snail mail unless you initiated the contact yourself. Inspect your credit card receipts. I never do that. <laughs> if they show your full account number, report it to the Attorney General's office. For online purchases, use only one credit card with a low purchase net limit. Never use a debit card for online purchases. Shred receipts, credit offers, insurance forms, bank statements, and similar documents. Use a crosscut shredder. Pick up your mail promptly and use a secure mailbox. Use a different strong password for each one of your accounts and don't write them down. Is your heart starting to pound? <laughs> Before disposing of any computer or mobile device, wipe its hard drive and remove the SIM card. Monitor your credit reports. That's not embarrassing at all. Check your bank and credit card statements for unauthorized activity. Who even gets statements anymore? But you gotta check them because that's important. Know when your statements normally arrive and notify your bank if they don't arrive when you expected them. Subscribe and pay for one or more identity protection services. Now this is, this is legit, this is government suggestions. It's not another fraud. And because we live in a broken world, all these suggestions are actually good suggestions and they will help. But do they cause you to feel, oh, whew, okay, I can fix that. Or do you feel, oh, I can't possibly do all that. 
It's good advice, but it's not peace. It's sure not shalom, is it? It ain't. And the Bible is well aware of this stuff. I mean, there's identity theft in the Bible that goes way back. Think about when Jacob pretends to be his twin brother Esau in order to get his blessing of the firstborn. When you're the firstborn child in a family back in those days, you got twice of the inheritance. You got a double load. So Jacob pretends to be his twin brother Esau and kipes his, his inheritance blessing from his father because his father's blind and can't tell who's, who he's talking to. Jacob wraps a goat skin around his hand and said, here, it's me, Esau, the hairy one. Well, <laughs> and his dad's like, okay, I guess. <laughs> Bless you. And even before that, even before that, the evil one attacked Adam and Eve and robbed them of their inheritance as children of God. And he did this by causing them to doubt God's goodness and love and provision. And he's still trying that same trick on Jesus in the New Testament. Let's look at Matthew 3, 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, I think I've heard this before, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. That's Jesus' identity. By the way, tangent camera, it's ours too, because we're in Jesus. Okay, hold on to that. All right. So then Jesus comes up out of the water, and the Bible says immediately the Holy Spirit took him out in the desert to get sorted out with who he is and what it means. And immediately the, the evil one comes to tempt him. The tempter came to him, this is Matthew 4, 3 through 7, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread, because Jesus hadn't eaten anything and he was hungry. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Nobody seemed to look up that day. That would have been a sight to see. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you don't strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it is also written, you shall not test the Lord your God. So the devil is trying to get Jesus to doubt his identity. If, really, you're the son of God, prove it, bet you can't. And doesn't he keep doing that to us too? I mean, we just looked at the fact that we are in Christ and therefore God's children whom he dearly loves and is well pleased with. But don't you hear it in your life? If you're really precious to God, you wouldn't be suffering like this. If he actually cared for you, he wouldn't have let those things happen to you. You're nothing but an employee to him, and you're not doing your job. Does any of that sound familiar? Yeah, okay, tell yourself you're God's child, but I can prove you're not. Think about it. Who's, <clears throat> excuse me, I have hairballs. We're going to be doing this a lot today. 
Who's most likely to be to stealing your identity? It's not going to be some stranger in Nigeria. It's going to be someone who knows you. A member of your family or a close friend or somebody who knew you once well. I mean, after all, think about it. Who knows your personal information? Who knows where your locked files are and knows where you keep your passwords? Because you did write them down. <laughs> who knows your mother's maiden name and where you grew up and who your childhood friends were and the names of all your pets? Of course. Who knows the various addresses of the places you've lived? Somebody who knows you. Unfortunately, the evil one knows us all very well. He knows all our weak spots, our blind spots, our secret fears, and our private longings. The evil one will use your story against you and your hidden pain to prove that you're nothing. Just a meat sack alone in an empty universe. Evil one says he can prove it. And really, didn't you learn as a tiny child how to live with the pain and desolation of believing the lies of the evil one? You figured that out pretty quick. We learned not to care too much, not to hope for much, not to feel much, and never to really be all in with anything. Generally, we go through life about 50% alive, alive enough, but we don't put it all in. We don't invest everything because the evil one lies to us. Paul Tillich, the philosopher, said most of us live our lives as if we were waiting for them to begin. Does that kind of hurt? That's because it rings a little true. I want to tell you about a guy I stumbled across online. His name is Josh Shipp. Uh, Josh was abandoned by his parents and went into the foster care system and just got passed from foster to foster to foster to foster and the conclusion that he came to because of the lies that the evil one was telling him was that nobody wanted him and the way he dealt with the pain of not being wanted was that he would get you to reject him before you had a chance to do it on your own. At least that way he'd have a little bit of control. So every time he went to a new foster home he would start doing horrible things so they would reject him so he could get that over with and go to the next one. Does that kind of make sense to you? I mean, it's crazy, but you see his logic, assuming that he thought it through. He just emotioned it through. He's got quite a long testimony, and I asked Dennis to pull a little clip out of the middle uh, of, of the guy that he finally came to this foster home where that didn't work. So let's watch that clip. so we're gonna watch the whole video. That's good. I was scared. I was confused. I was hurt by the things happening to me and around me as a kid. I genuinely could not fathom a world where I could trust anybody. So fast forward, here I am, 14 years old, and entering my umpteenth foster home. I was a pro, a veteran at this whole sort of getting kicked out of one home, moved to the next. And you meet these people who were like literally complete and total strangers 10 minutes ago who are now apparently your mom and dad. You know, kids don't take candy from strangers, just move in with them. <laughs> so I'm sitting in the van in the driveway of this next home. And that's when I see Rodney. He's standing up there on the front porch. And immediately I notice 
This is a large fella. He's six foot five, he's 350 pounds, and as a 14-year-old boy, I couldn't help but notice, when he's turned to the side like that, he's shaped like a lowercase b. It's amusing now, but in the moment it was tactical. Maybe that's how I could get kicked out of this home. Maybe I could get under his skin about his weight. So I move in with him. I'm being obnoxious, I'm being ungrateful, I'm being just downright rude and mean, I'm setting things on fire. And three years later, I can't shake this guy. <laughs> Rodney won't kick me out. So I step up my game. I go to the local bank in town, I open up a checking account. I put about 90 bucks in there. Then I proceed to write $10,000 worth of checks. Obviously checks bouncing one after the next after the next. One check that bounced was for my car insurance. I'm going down the road speeding Stillwater, Oklahoma, 88 miles an hour. No car insurance, no driver's license. I get pulled over, handcuffed, thrown in the back of a cop car and sent to jail. I call Rodney. Like, Rodney, I'm in Stillwater, I'm in jail. I'll tell you the whole thing when you get here. Can you please come bail me out tonight? He said, I will come bail you out, but not till tomorrow. Rodney frustratingly believed sometimes one of the most loving things you could do for a kid was allow them to sit in either the success of their wonderful choice or the stupidity of their foolish choice. Next morning, he comes, bells me out, exactly as promised. We have a long, very awkward car ride home. No one says anything. We get back to the house. He's like, we need to sit down and talk. And I knew this moment had finally come. So Rodney, his wife, sent me down to give me the talk I've had a dozen times. He looks in my eyes and says, son, you can keep causing problems. You can keep trying to mess up. You can keep pushing us away. You can keep trying to get us to kick you out of here, but you've got to get it through your thick head, son. We don't see you as a problem. We see you as an opportunity. And in that moment, all my skepticism came to the surface. And I thought, what a cheesy, stupid thing to say to a 17-year-old kid. But then I was overwhelmed with the reality that this guy actually meant it. He didn't see what I was, what was on the surface. The obnoxious kid, the ungrateful kid, the kid getting suspended. He saw what I could be. It was genuinely my turning point. Now, statistically, I am supposed to be dead in jail or homeless. But because of... Thank you. So, Rodney is afraid to be the beloved because being loved and wanting love hurts him. But Rodney won't let him not be the beloved. <laughs> he just keeps on loving. Go back to how Jesus deals with the evil one. He says people don't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And when we're afraid of being the beloved, we tend to read that as I have to read my Bible more. That's how I'm supposed to be living. And yeah, read your Bible. But think about this. Jesus also said that what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. You remember him saying that? Jesus is the word of God 
that comes from God's heart. Jesus is God's heart to you. Right? The whole Bible is God saying, I love you. Don't destroy yourself. Come back to me. I love you. Here's what Jesus advises about protecting ourselves from identity theft. In Matthew 6, 19, he says, Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Bank your heart with God. Let your stuff be your stuff. Bank your heart with God. That's Jesus' advice. In John 10.10, 10, it says, Thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's the evil one's mission. That's his vision plan. Steal, kill, destroy. But Jesus says, I have come so that you may have life and have it to the full. Right? The evil one tries to trick us into thinking that he's God's voice, but he can't disguise his voice because everything he says becomes poison. His words will always poison. Think about this. We're just going to kind of show you the flip, the flip program here. In John 14, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Here's how the evil one runs that verse. Numbness I leave with you. My deadness I give you. I do not give as the Lord gives. Do not let your heart forget to worry, and never don't be afraid. You heard that one before? Yeah, he's tried that one on all of us. Jesus calls us to abundant life. And frankly, that can be kind of terrifying, right? <laughs> I mean, we kind of know how to live at 50%. We've figured out how to run that game. But if we're fully alive, if we're all in, we will have all the feels. We'll do all the crazy. We'll take all the dares. We will absolutely give ourselves away. That's what God's up to, and it's kind of scary. Right? So there's only one safety net that can ever be safe enough for us to become fully alive, live abundantly the way Jesus has in mind. We spent all last year looking at who we are in Christ. I'm just going to run down those, those 52 sermon titles, see if you get a, a sort of a feel for the vibe of who we are in Christ here. I have been given grace in Jesus Christ. I received the Spirit of God into my life so that I may not know the things given to me by God. I am Christ-minded. I am God's temple. I am called. I am the fragrance of God. I am God's masterpiece. I am victorious through Jesus Christ. I am the light of the world because of Christ. I am a new creation. I am free. I am given strength in exchange for weakness. I have eternal life in Christ. I am a saint. I am righteous and holy in Christ. I am an heir of God. I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. I have been crucified with Christ. 
I have been made alive with Christ. I have been raised up and seated with Christ in heaven. I have direct access to God through the Spirit. I may approach God with boldness, freedom, and confidence. I am without blame before God. I am ransomed. I have been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. The debt against me is canceled. I am a citizen of heaven, seated in heaven right now. I am a citizen of God's kingdom. I have been rescued from the domain of Satan's rule and transferred to the kingdom of Christ. I am not forgotten. I am fully known by God. I have been placed into Christ by God. I am a child of God. Do you begin to see a pattern? Yeah, he's not kidding. I remember one time I was kind of feeling angsty and, and up in the air because I was sort of spinning around. I think it was my 40th birthday. And you know how you, on decades, you kind of get that way, you know? So I asked God, what am I? And he gave me several answers. The big one, he said, you know, well, you're a maker. You're also a minister of hope and humor, and you're growing into a truth teller. And then I kind of got a little more real with God. I said, God, who am I? And the answer was like, like that. You are my beloved. And I mean, he, there was no arguing with him. And that has stuck with me. You are my beloved. And I dare you to ask him the same question. You'll get the same answer. That's what it boils down to. I am the beloved of God. So when a criminal wants to defraud you, some of the ways they do it is they offer you amazing opportunities or terrifying threats. Have you gotten the call from the IRS? You're about to be thrown in jail. You got to da 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 you know? Really, as if. Or I'm from the government and I'm going to help you get this one fabulous grant that we're giving to people who wear red shirts. Well, if you know our country, you know the government ain't giving you no grant. Or I've hacked your computer and I know what you've been doing on the internet, and if you send me money, I won't tell anybody. Well, if you have a clear conscience, you know, you can say, nice try. I bet that was a boring experience for you. <laughs> yeah. It's all based on greed and fear and lies, lies, lies. Pickpockets distract you from what's really going on. And so the evil one does the same stuff. He distracts us with the busyness and cares of the world. You know the parable of the sower and how some of the seeds come up but they can't grow because they're too busy dealing with life's worries and this and that and the other thing and the price of eggs and what have you. Or the, the evil one will bring up the old photos of your past and just keep bringing them up and laying them on the table. This and this and this and this and this. Or he'll wait, raise questions about God's goodness and his love for you. Yeah, you think you're beloved. Prove it. I can prove you're not. It's all based on fear and lies and lies and lies. But we're used to believing the evil one without question. It's kind of hard to sort of try to force yourself up the hill of faith, right? Mark Twain in Huckleberry Finn says, Faith is believing what you know ain't so. And that can sort of be how it feels sometimes. If you try to make yourself believe God's word, it can be doing battle against the evil one. But there's a better way. 
There's a better way. In Ephesians 6, and you're all familiar with this one, Paul says, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Notice how we're supposed to fight. Put on the armor, but it doesn't say, now go do battle. It says, stand your ground. Hold the ground God gave you. Stand there on God's ground and pray. Pray everything. Pray all the time. Pray in your armor. Here's the trick about that. What gets our attention gets us eventually. If we give our attention to the evil one and spend all our time trying to resist the evil one, we're kind of giving him the battle in a way. It's much better to give our attention to the promises, to the armor, to the ground, to the God we pray to, ignoring the evil one. Evil one can't do it, I mean as if, really. Right? We don't need to battle the evil one. We need to keep our eyes on God, wear our armor. We are united to God in Christ. We don't have to achieve anything. We're already there. We can simply ask God how he feels about us and believe him. You can just ask him. We can ask him, how do I walk in your love right now? And obey him. He'll tell you. It's not a trick question. Lord, what do I do right now to walk in your love? And he'll, he'll give you the idea. What's your next step? Or we can ask him what we need right now and trust him to provide it. We've got all kinds of ideas about what we need, right? <laughs> but if you ask God, Lord, what do I need right now? It's already there. And above all, we can be perfectly frank with God and listen while he is perfectly frank with us. Now, sometimes that can sort of cause my heart to go pit-a-pat because I can be afraid that his frankness is going to be a rebuke, right? Does that bob any heads here? If God's perfectly honest with me, I'm going to sort of wish he hadn't said anything. Or that he's going to call me into some hard place so I can grow up to be more like Jesus. Henry Nouwen, in his book, The Life of the Beloved, defines, here's what it's like to be the beloved of God, he says. As Jesus was blessed and broken and given to us, we also are taken and blessed and broken and given to others. Now, all that's true. God may have a bit of a rebuke for you. God may call you into something hard to be more like Jesus. And God definitely will take you and bless you and break you and give you to others. That's all true. And at the very same time, he speaks into our hearts the words that will flood us with hope and peace and joy. Because that's his heart. 
So it's all true. And if God loves me as his beloved child and he has to rebuke me, how hard is that rebuke going to be to hear? Seriously. You know, honey, you really shouldn't have done that. You need to go apologize. Okay. You know, <laughs> how bad could it be, really? My mom rebuked worse than that. So that's our job. Believe God's word. When you're struggling to believe it, ask God to tell you who he is. He will. He'll tell you. Praise God at all times and all things. Give thanks. When you're struggling to do that, ask God. Tell me who you are. He'll unload on you, and you can be praising that because he's going to unload wonderful things. To wrap up, we're going to sit with a kind of a lengthy meditation. This is about six minutes long. This is a man, uh, Graham Cook. He's going to do um, what he calls a soaking in a prophetic word about God's heart towards you and who you are in Jesus. So I'd like you to just kick back, take your shoes off, get comfortable, and spend some time soaking in God's word for you. Okay? Let's do that. My beloved has the capacity to see what I see. When your heart is engaged with mine, your view of life and circumstances can rise above your situations. The kingdom is filled with my vision and my perception. To become the beloved, you must see yourself as I see you. You are the beloved because of who I am, not because of what you see about yourself. It is my perception of you that must occupy your affection, my appraisal of you that must gladden your heart. You are accepted in the beloved son, therefore you are my beloved child. Rest in my acceptance of you and my affection for you. My beloved has my fullest attention. All the intention of my heart is joyfully lavished upon you. I have a huge heart of affection towards you. My love never ceases and never fails towards you. My love is not based upon your performance as the beloved. It is based on the sacrifice of my beloved son. He alone is the propitiation for your sin and your restoration. I place you in him so that all the love I have for him may now rest joyfully in you. I completely understand 
every struggle that you have and every weakness that you fear about yourself. In my great love for you, I have set aside a place in my beloved for you to enjoy and know my fullest affection. Again, let me say to you, rest in my love. I love you as I love Jesus. Abide in this place of my deepest affection. When I look at you, I do not see anything wrong or negative about you. I took everything that could ever be leveled against you, every sin, accusation, and even the smallest amount of sin, and I placed it on Christ and nailed it to a tree. I have dealt with sin once and for all in this world. The next time I deal with sin will be on Judgment Day, after the world has ended. Until then, I am dealing with your righteousness in Christ. I have placed you in Him so that His purity and holiness can now become you as you learn to live in Him. He is my beloved Son. Now that you are in Him and He is in you, you also are the beloved. Therefore, when I look at you, I see him first. I see you through the lens of Jesus. By my doing, you are in Christ, the beloved of heaven. He is made your wisdom and your righteousness. In him you are set apart and consecrated. You are fully redeemed and learning to walk in the fullness of all that Christ is in you. When I look at you, I do not see what is wrong with you. I see what is missing from your experience of the Christ. I am fully committed to you becoming the beloved. That means I am always upgrading your experience in relationship with Jesus. You are growing up into all things in Him with my blessing and approval. In Christ, I give you all the things that you lack in yourself. As the beloved, you inherit all that he is and all that he can do. Don't you love that? I'm not dealing with your sin. I'm dealing with your righteousness.